Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Net Positive Podcast. A podcast which educates and inspires marketers, product managers, and companies in the best way to generate and optimize your flows. We're your hosts, Matt Brown and Jess Walker, and we will bring you the latest on how to improve your sign-up flow, increase your leads, and grow your business. Let's, Let's jump, jump in. in. On today's episode, we're speaking with Colm Flanagan, a truly gifted growth marketer and a real master of SEO. Today, he speaks about his journey from the early days in Ireland to how he ventured out into the world, allowing his skills and experience to mould his ideal career, all the way to how he came to own barbers and hair salons. His insights into data analytics are profound, and you'll end this podcast looking to hire a data scientist. G'day, Colm. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's great to have you here. You know, you've had a pretty incredible career and, you know, I've, I've known you for a little while and you've promised me that you're going to try not to swear too much on this <laughs> podcast, but we'll see how we go. You know, you've been instrumental to Highpage's success from a growth point of view. I'd love to learn how you've got to where you are today. So I basically started um, back in Ireland about 10 years ago. So um, luckily my brother is in this game. He's um, the senior VP over at HubSpot. He basically kicked me off at the beginning um, taught me the basics of SEO. Um, I remember I literally lived in his spare room for a full year with no money, no job. Worked really hard on building up some websites. Um, we got one that was um, it was really successful in my eyes. It was a men's fashion magazine. And we had like tons of traffic in Dakota, UK, millions of views on YouTube. And that got me wow. sort of really intrigued. They're still up there. They're tacky, but they're there. So I was pretty proud of that. I, but I basically took that and used it as a case study and went and kicked down the door of agencies and said, give me a job. Because I had no formal, I dropped out of uni. I didn't have any formal sort of backing. So I was like, let me in, look what I can do. Mm. Um, I basically, um, I got an unpaid internship for three months when I was in my like 20, 23 years old. Within 18 months, I was running the SEO department of that agency. Um, and then I basically came out of here. Um, I did a couple of agency gigs what interested me on the agency side was the product that they were offering from an organic perspective. So the, the sort of SEO product, I, I rebuilt it in one of the agencies and then went external and consulted with a bunch of others and said, hey, you should do it like this. It's right. better. And then from there, that was, for, that was about two years. And then from there, I decided I wanted to work in a marketplace because they were just popping up everywhere. But they, were really, they looked really hard. And they are really hard. <laughs> There's uh, the first one, yeah. Swedja. They're really like, they're tough, but they're so fun. And so I've, I jumped in the high pages in 2017. We, we grew Jaman um, really, really well in that company. It diversified their digital mix and, you know, they appealed in, in, in 2020. And I actually just wrapped up a week ago. Wow. Okay. So, you know, from, from early days to IPO and, uh, and, and then getting to kind of jump out and think about new things. And, you know, I, again, as, as, as I said, but like I've, I've known you for a little while mm. and I know you're, you know, also quite involved uh, in your wife's business and mm. she's got a hair salon and a barber shop and mm. you've also got a newborn under the way, but I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of the side hustle with the, with the barber shop as well. Yeah. So um, she opened up when I was doing that, that consulting part of my career I did that as well to support her opening her business that's where we timed it and then I realized there was a gap I believe there was a gap for a more modern barber shop to offer beauty services without being too salony like mm -hmm. a bit of a safe space normalized a sort of a normal space more familiar space but the, the quality of those sort of facials and stuff like that beauty treatments right. because if you know if you look at that market, it's super interesting. You look at the UFC and the partnerships with Manscaped, which is a grooming tool for men yeah. below the waist. If you look at 
the growth in man's skincare is 5%. Get punched in the face and then, you know, go and moisturize. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, want to cover up those black eyes. But like all that good stuff. And, and, and in, this, in Australia alone, the, the, the man's skincare is growing 5% through a pandemic. So I created this really cool um, modern barbershop, but it's still familiar. You still come in, have a beer, still chill out. It's really relaxed, but the guys are well-trained and we have all the beauty equipment and it's the it's not like it's proper facials, it's um proper services like that. When we kicked it off though, it was like a freemium, right? No one wanted it, so I give it away for free. Like literally nobody wanted it. They they were like, nah, don't you touch my face, just cut my hair. <laughs> you know, like they were really I'm like Yeah, no, don't give me that shit. Just cut my hair and leave me alone. But once we started to say, Hey, just take it for free, after about six months, they're like, you know, I wouldn't mind having that. Mm. And, yeah, well. and it's evolved and now they're like it's our main package. It's it's you know, ten to fifteen percent of our revenue. You know those those skincare products are, are flying out. So I think we're a little bit ahead. When we opened three two years ago, people weren't really ready for it, but they're certainly starting to adjust to it. So you guys can't see Colm right now, but he has a very very nice beard. So the barbershop fits you quite quite yeah. nicely. I look like a barber. To be fair, <laughs> can you can you cut hair as well? Negative. Don't let me near your hair. <laughs> yeah, I'll do the SEO for mm. it, but I won't cut your hair. So I want to touch first on your time at High Pages. So when we spoke previously, you were telling me some really impressive stats to what you had when you started to what you had when you left. One of the best things about our podcast is people love to hear the actionable insights of how Mm -hmm. you really did it, like diving deep into step-by-step guides. So what they were and and how you did it. Yeah, look, what we achieved um, in a nutshell was a channel that was probably about um, 15% of the total mix of demand to about 40%, right, which was about 4,000 you know, we say jobs posted, but it's new, new user signups, whatever we, we want to sort of look at it. Because the website's the product, right, to a degree for the consumer, uh, from about 4000 to 12000 a week, right? And just for the listeners, can you just describe what High Pages does? It's essentially an online marketplace where, from a consumer's perspective, you can post a job through the platform and you'll have tradies on the other side uh, pitch three quotes. And then you can build a relationship with the tradie and, and, and get the job sort of actioned on there. And so our metric was jobs posted on the platform. Um, we looked at, look, the way I look at it is, is organic. I look at assets. We had a directory, wasn't doing very well, we, which Google still loves directories, by the way. I look at the beauty market, you know, type in salon, suburb, it's probably nine times out of ten, it's a directory, right? So the directory we had, cost guys, we had all these other scalable articles and assets. And so um, I spent a lot of time prioritizing, pitching, understanding where the growth was. Like I wasn't going to go in and change the title. And, and try to get little wins in a you know potentially fifty million dollar company. So, was always looking for the big things. Um, and um, the first thing I did to get any results was to pitch for a dedicated engineer. I think one of the things is where they struggle with channels in, in some businesses is that they go, "Here's an SEO guy, put some tickets in a sprint," and nobody in engineering gives a shit. They don't care. No, they don't. They don't care what you're trying to do. They don't care really about what that ticket's going to mean. And they also don't care necessarily. And it's not their fault. They're just, it's not been, it's not interesting well, to them. Well, they're, and they're also programmed to think about what the customer wants Correct. once they've paid for the product, not how to get them there in the first place. Exactly. So if you're thinking product channel fit, they don't really care how that product fits within the channel. So um, I pitched, uh, six months it took me, give me one engineer that's KPI out of my KPI. And to this day, she's still a tech lead in that team. She's incredible. Awesome. She's an absolute rock star she had historical knowledge of the tech stack and all that good stuff. And she was driven by numbers, mm-hmm. which from a growth engineer perspective is bingo, right? Yeah. So 
Um, we, you know, if you want me to go into what detail on some of the things we did, the first thing we did was look at the directory and go, this could be massive. This could be huge, but it's shit. Um, and the problem was there was 150 million URLs in that one asset and Google just had no idea what was going on. So we, I managed to get my hands on a data scientist as well. And putting the three of us, <clears throat> we essentially came up with an internal metric, which was pulling in all these different metrics from different SEO tools, all the APIs and our internal data. And we put this, what we call the weighted metric against every URL. Mm-hmm. And then we made thresholds and we just chopped and chopped. And we, we basically consolidated it down to a couple million URLs over the course of about 12 to 16 months. And that just, the directory is about 100% year on year, two years in a row. SEO is often considered quite a dark art. And like, you know, for, for the layman, it's it's pretty much just magic how this stuff happens. But it's <laughs> it's obviously not magic. Um, you know, I'd love, well, maybe it is, maybe you'll tell me differently. But I'd love to kind of dive into some of the techniques that you've used or some of the strategies you've used to implement really strong SEO in, in the businesses you've worked on. Um, you know, and, and I'd love you to demystify, like, do you need a PhD in, in SEO to actually be good at SEO? The way the way that it's evolving is 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 really interesting. So, you know, being a standalone SEO that would sit sort of because a lot of successful technical SEOs are ex-developers, right? So they've got that sort of sort of behavior. Um, for me, it's um, you really got to be good. Uh, two key things that have changed massively: project managing and managing different skill sets. If my team was not just a direct growth team, it was like it wasn't just full stack engineers, iOS product designers. It wasn't all data science, but it was also dovetailed into content lead writers, the SEO guy, who's actually my younger brother, um, and and everyone else. Keeping in the family. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's a gun, by the way, to shout That's out. Awesome. But um, yeah, no, so you got to learn how to work with all these different skill sets as part of your team, like because of the way that it's evolving into PR, brand, storytelling. That's all part of it. And then the other one's communication. Like, um, you still need to know all the fundamentals of SEO like you did back 10 years ago, but you got to have good communication. you got to sell. Uh-huh. I sold some boring shit. Like, <laughs> it's boring. Some of it's boring work, but I pitched it as really cool and funky and, like, Ow. mad. Ah, <laughs> metrics and... <Good> chance. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, removing 100 million URLs is not that interesting, mm-hmm. really, especially from an engineer perspective. So um, you got to just... Get, you got to get... Um, think about how... Who you're pitching to, mm-hmm. who those stakeholders are, stakeholders are, what they care about, and how you can sort of pivot, angle that project to sort of that, get them excited about it, and then close the loop. So one of the things is um, when you get an engineer to do some amazing work or a product, doesn't matter who you get it to do, close the loop, show them the results constantly, look at the work you've done, look at the impact it's had on the business commercial metrics. I think that's super important. Is that We spoke earlier around decentralizing the teams. Is that what you're talking about here? Within a growth team, especially, or within your SEO team, like get those wins and, and showcase them, but decentralize those habits and what mm. you've done. So once we got the original growth in organic, the first thing I did was go, okay, the whole company needs to know why mm-hmm. to future-proof it so it doesn't happen again or so they don't impact it. So I was every engineer that was hired in their onboarding process, I would present to them. And I'd say, this is what it used to be. This is what we've done. This is how we need to, these are the thing, considerations moving forward, mm. like these technical considerations. When you're doing work, please consider them. Or if need be, check in with us if, you're, if you think it might impact them. And I did that with everyone that started, engineers, product marketers, um, and that really helped future-proof yeah, awesome. and end down the line. Yeah. 
And what were those numbers from from when you started to when you left? Because I think we were talking quite quite impressive results. The traffic numbers, I don't know total. They were 100% up each year and year, and mm. there were tons of traffic. But we also worked on um, the web product, so the sign-up from the consumer's perspective when they would post a job. That went up about 30% because we rebuilt it from forms into a, into a modal. But the beautiful thing we did is that if there's 120 categories, we tagged every step. Mm. So this is why you should always have a data scientist. They tagged every step for me, and then we had 130 funnels to optimize, right, which gives you an incredible amount of opportunity for growth because they're across all the categories. So we, um, we, we not only increased the traffic, we increased that conversion rate. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, on the other side, from a revenue perspective, it's probably in the perspectives or the, the IPO quarterly, but I think, you know, organic's worth about 1.5 million a month now, where it was probably closer to less than half of that. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. And what, what percentage was your organic versus your paid as well? Paid used to be um, almost half the jobs posted. It's mm-hmm. probably dropped. I, don't, I actually don't know because I left before that, but it's probably dropped down to about 30. Um, and then that was reinvested into my team, growing my team. So obviously you've been in SEO for what, 10 years now? Yeah, just over. Have you seen and it change over the 10 years or, or how it you know, has evolved in the marketplace? I'm a firm believer in the fundamentals still, still being the most powerful thing mm-hmm. to get right. And they obviously evolve. If you think about, you know, the core vitals update that's coming, be prepared, right? One thing that we got really good at is actually prepping for <clears throat> the potential new update that was coming. But I think the other thing that worked really well for us and that, you know, I was really happy to see the Airbnb uh, quarterly that came out and it was like they pulled back all their PPC, right? All their performance, but they still revived about 80 Was it 90% of their traffic? Yeah. And why is that? It's because of storytelling and PR, mm. brand education mm. and search. If you think of like that Venn diagram, it's yeah. such right. a weapon, right? So one of the things that I did early on too was to bring in, we have like a PR brand team as close to us as possible. And so when something happened, like even when COVID hit and we went to market, like we, I remember five, 600 links in a couple of months, like we were just, we were just ready for it. And when the demand came back, our organic channel was ready for it. Um, so it, the, the fundamentals haven't evolved. Like I always surround myself with um, really, really smart technical SEOs, always. There's a guy I use all the time, Richard Herod, he's gone. And, and, but um, the bit that's moving is that, that sort of content piece. And I think that Airbnb example is, is, is a good example. You've done all of these amazing experiments and you know, when, when you kind of go here, you, you mentioned going big uh, in terms of the sorts of things you like to put in. You know, were, were there any sort of big bets that paid off you know, in a way you just didn't expect, like any massive aha moments that you had through your career? I mean, pretty much everything that we've done. So speaking to, to high pages stuff, we, we had this approach where we would test in a state to sort of, like there's two reasons I test an SEO, right, really primarily to mitigate risk and then to find something that scales. So to mitigate risk, for example, with the directory project, we would roll out this significant change in one state and go, fuck, <laughs> and then and you'd wait and it would go well, and then you start rolling out the lower state and then you go all, mm-hmm. all of Australia. Um, so th- there was a lot of testing in there. I think the other side of testing is to find things that scale. Like if you think of anyone like, you know, Canva have how many, a million index templates, you think yep. of safety culture, all these guys. So um, I was looking for um, something to scale um, within high pages that would also help the consumer on the, the there's a problem with low frequency. How often do you need a trade? Right? right. So checklist is a good example. So safety culture, I was looking at that and I was like, okay, checklist, shit. 
And we, I basically built 20 landing pages for these terms, sent a bunch of PPC traffic, decided if it was over 40% engagement where they emailed it themselves, then that's an asset we should look at, totally. right? And we should invest in. And the, the engagement was 50%, right? So, okay, so I went to SEO, lead and constantly and said, 20,000 pages, go, figure it out. I don't care how you do it, just do it. But if it kept working, that's a really, that's a new audience to introduce to the product. Mm. But it's also a feature that you could consider within the product. So um, that's kind of how I looked at experimenting from an SEO perspective. The smaller experiments like titles and all that never interest me because I don't think you're going to get, I mean, you, I, people will disagree, um, but I don't think you're going to get anything super significant from it. In terms of uh, high pages being a marketplace, obviously you've got your, your tradies and then you've got your customers using the tradies. Were they essentially two products that you had to market and how did that work? We evolved from... Grow jobs posted on the platform because mm. that will solve a lot of headaches, and we did. <clears throat> and it does solve some, but it creates more. Um, and then um, we were then, because we're a centralized team, it was like, hey, you need to solve traded leads or, you know, the sales conversion rate. So um, essentially, one of the reasons I really like sort of a, a growth squad like that is you've got to then go, okay, I know everything about the consumer I know everything about the product. Mm. Now I've got to learn everything about not just the trading product. So yeah, it's a completely different product, but also the way that we acquire. So from the web form right through the sales force, through the sales team. <clears throat> and so we had to basically, we spent like three to four months just in discovery, just understanding that this FY, okay, how does it work? Is complex, mm. actually, yeah, well. really complex. Then you, if you want to, and that's not even including the, the metrics in the middle, all the claim metrics and all that, right? Blows your head a bit. But we, we would just move in and we would have to understand that side of the product, the behaviors we did, um, um, jobs to be done on the trading. And then we just, we basically mirrored the entire product. But one of the things that I do that I think works well, if you're a centralized team and you're told, okay, now I go after this metric, which lives over here. Yep. Who's the stakeholder? What's the technology? What do they care about? What are they driven by? How are they KPI themselves? Mm-hmm. Bring them into your team. So now you're a part of our team. You, like, you know, when we moved to the trading side, the marketing lead, I was like, you're now part of the growth team. Every right. meeting, every stand-up, you're driven by the same things we're driven by because then they become that voice for you and, help, and they help you, you know, get through all the barriers which we all see in those kind of growth teams. You mentioned um, briefly before we went on air that, you know, you've always been a big fan of remote work and decentralized teams and things like that. You know, how have you, how have you worked with your teams when you've not all been in that same room kind of hustling towards that one KPI? Like, how have you motivated and kept everybody on track uh, asynchronously? You know, before this all happened, I was um, pitching to my team to work from home for a week. Um, we didn't quite get to it because then this all happened. It was sort of the year, the Christmas before. Um one of the things that we do, I think, quite well is we built up a pretty good culture within my team. We're not too mm. big either, right? It's about eight people, so it's easier right. to build a culture. Um, we had every single day the weekly stand-ups. One of the things I think I did that worked well was always closing the loop every quarter. So I would basically sit my team down before I'd even present to the CEO or anyone else. Right. And I would present to them everything that we've done this quarter and everything we've achieved and everything that we're doing next. Do you guys agree? Because you guys are as part of the decision as mm-hmm. I am. Yeah. And then they would go, yes, no, this, and then we would present that back up. So they were just a part of everything. The, the, the initiatives that we did, the experiments we did, 
Um, it wasn't just me saying, hey, do this because I feel like it. It was real. They were part of the entire discovery process. Yeah. They understood the problem. It wasn't like, hey, go build this. Yeah. They were involved in the, the sort of the problem discovery, which I think helped keep us quite tight. Were there any tools that you were using that really helped? Um, we basically started to use uh, Mural. I mean, okay. Mural, Mural, they're saying, but Mural. Um, and then I hired this um, way better than me, this product designer, man. She's a gun too. And she basically like, would visualize and pull in all this data into this one screen. You know, you could zoom in on your experiments and zoom out on the problem you're solving. Awesome. And, it was, and it was such a really good framework to work from. And so we would all work off this one view, one lens of the problem. The key that I'm hearing here is you're getting everyone involved and everyone knows what's happening every step of the way and they feel like they're part of the team. Correct. And what we're finding with you know, a lot of companies is the product and marketing team and the tech and engineering team are so separated that that, that causes friction. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really good to hear what you're doing. So you were saying that you did all this research, you know, for months and months. What, how much of that is focusing on pure data and how much of that is actually going to your customers and saying, what do you want? What do you like about the product and what do you just dislike? Both. So with the, which is such an easy answer, but <laughs> I, I, I hear that. But yeah, but yeah. <laughs> next question. No, the, but what we do, so we, we'd map out what we were trying to solve. And then um, I would have the, a data scientist come in and look and basically pull in the metrics that we were trying to move, but also the, the metrics that ladder up. So if you think about, say, the trading side and say, or any SaaS side, so the qualified leads and, and the conversions, well, what ladders up to that? There's a problem with contact rates. It's, it's too high. We're missing right. too many people. There's a problem there. So we, he would layer in those lower metrics, which is really interesting because then you test, okay, calendar integration or gives you all these ideas to solve that, which ladders up. So <clears throat> we had him go through, map out every single stage, and we had the product designer over, overlay it with um, jobs to be done, basically research across the user. And that gave us just everything we needed to run experiments, and then the winners would basically be prioritized into inception. How many experiments were you running at any one time? On the consumer side, much more aggressive because technically we were set up. So mm-hmm. that was one, when I say about like pitching painful work, there was quarters and quarters of work that I pitched that was just setting up the framework to be able to do this stuff. Some of the work that I would pitch would be to actually just set up the ability to do tests. So, for example, on the consumer side, we, you know, when you job, when you post a job, there's like maybe 10 to 15 steps and there's hundreds of categories. Um, we set up through we basically tagged every single one of those steps to set up the funnels that I mentioned, but then we incorporated LaunchDarkly. And so LaunchDarkly would allow us to feature flag, run experiments on the consumer side, but also pull that through to Looker so we could see the claim outcomes on the other side of a single A-B experiment. So that was took a while to set up, but then we could run 10 experiments a week, right? And, yeah, and, and you don't need to wait for the statistical difference fucking nonsense because it's, it's so small, it's not going to happen unless you wait for a year looks good, go. Doesn't mm. look good, stop. Yeah. And then your net output's pretty good, right? Your net outcome's good. So um, basically on the other side, it was, it was harder to run that many experiments, to be honest, because it just technically wasn't set up. So on the other, when we moved over to the other side, we were running probably an experiment a week. You, you touched on data science a bit, and you know, data science is definitely a, a massively growing discipline. And if you kind of looked back at 10 years ago when people were giving career advice, they probably weren't saying, hey, you should be a data scientist. But you know, here, we, here we are today, and it's probably one of the most in-demand jobs. You, know, you, you managed to get one in your team. And you know, like, what advantages do you think having data science directly in your team gave you? And, and you know, should every growth team have a data scientist in there? Yes. Full stop, next question. (laughs) (laughs) No, everything. um, 
you know, the, the big projects that we had that done really well were data driven. The, the, the um, you know, the careful calling of the directory was completely led by data. We built basically an internal keyword tool for our, for our other, um, higher up the funnel content. Um, I'll give you a snapshot of what it did. You would basically load up a bunch of URLs and based upon the data that we pulled in internally and externally and the parameters we'd set, it would literally look at it and go, rewrite that article, you're within striking distance. Uh, redirect that article. It's too similar to this. This one has no keyword, you know, wow. match it. And this one, you don't, you don't have an article for this keyword, right? And then, you know, we would roll out 10 categories a month and traffic was like, again, 100% year and year was flying. So that was all data-driven and it was all written in code I can't write. So he was my everything for those kind of projects. Like, yeah. it's so, so important. And, and then again, with the, the ability to set up these funnels to be able to, like this 100 and something funnels that we then set up was all data-led. And all data tagged. Um, so I think for just from my experience, pretty much all the big projects that were successful, data was at the core of it. You mentioned something really interesting there in terms of generating just the volume of articles that you were creating. You know, how interesting were those articles to the end user? And like, did, did you find people that were actually getting there and getting sort of real thought leadership out of any of those? Or was it purely to drive people to the site? Look, the product is incredibly transactional. When you think exactly from the consumer's way. So as was the content. Mm. And, the, and that's just, an, you know, it's not because we didn't feel we should be doing more sort of, you know, how's aspirational mm. stuff. But at the end of the day, it was a transactional product. It was transactional content and it was mm. valuable. So we just went after the value. What yeah. type of content did work the best? Basically, before people would execute a job on their house or whatever it might be, wanted to know how much it would cost. So we had these cost guides and we had um, checklists. And then the other one, which um, they should do before someone else does the versus. There's a lot of content on like this, you know, this material versus this material, mm. which just gives you a little bit more higher up the funnel to introduce mm-hmm. a new audience to the product. Um, but those were the ones that scale. So I was just looking for whatever scaled. Was that content uh, from high pages or was it, was it from a, an author and then backlinked to high pages? No, it was all, it was all on high pages. All on guys, yeah, yeah, we had a, a big suite of writers the content lead would manage. Yeah. So we built this pro what I was getting to with this process was, you know, you would bang in this category, it would spit out all those sort of recommendations. And then that would basically um, go through the air table automatically and would give the writers just the brief. So all you would do internally is put in the URL and it would just go. <laughs> and, you know, so we were trying to get to that point of automate. So automate the inputs, but not the output. I didn't want to automate the writing because it sucks. There's, there's a product just there. Yeah, I know. There is. And I've started. No one else copied it. No, I've. <laughs> we, I, this is what I did with my younger brother, who's the SEO lead in there currently. This is what we were building. And we've been building outside as well, playing around with. It's awesome. good. Mm. And so you're taking a data scientist's brain and then turning it into a product? Essentially, yeah. Trying to automate the inputs, but not the outputs. Not the, yeah. So you've just finished up at high pages. So what's next? What's the exciting challenges that you have ahead? (laughs) (laughs) Screaming children. (laughs) Um, No sleep. No, I am. You've got the moisturizer for it though. (laughs) (laughs) Outside of this, NFTs have kept me up probably for the last week, just randomly. Non-fungible tokens. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So um, just just a little plug for my mate. He's amazing. He's built a VR gallery and we're already hosting our NFTs in it. So you can put on the VR headset and you're literally in a in an art gallery looking at these. Can you explain what a non-fundable token is? 
non-fungible. Non-fungible. Fungible. Okay, yeah. can you please explain what that is? It's essentially di- so digital art is the the piece that we're talking about. Wow. So, you, but you can pick up with Ethereum. It's just it's sort of blowing up at the mm-hmm. minute. And so we've we've gathered some pieces of cool artists and we're hosting it in this um, VR gallery, which is super cool. So that's annoying me at the minute. Um, but the with with this stuff, um, I think look the the way that it's evolving. From an SEO perspective, which is into this sort of space of PR and brand, I think makes total sense. And and if you're not already working with your PR department or brand department on that sort of search education and storytelling, like maybe start thinking about it because the the bigger companies are certainly doing it really well. And it's, I think the perfect timing was the Airbnb example. So that's what I'm most excited about because it's going to be a lot more creative creative opportunities. Technical is not going away. You're still going to need that technical engineer, that technical person, but. If you're a bit more creative and you want to see like an opportunity in this space, then it's pretty much there or coming. Where would you um, recommend people go to learn more about this space? People are listening like, how do I learn about this? How do I become a column? There's a few newsletters that I've signed up to. Reforge has been, I know I've heard it before and you've probably heard it a thousand times, but the community is really great. Um, I still chat, I'm still pretty active in the, in the community there. It's, it's probably a bit out of pocket for some people because I got the company to pay for it. They're killing it. Um, but it's certainly a good space to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, the Reforge the community? Reforge, yeah. Okay. Like, look at their free content. Mm-hmm. If you could go back in time and tap young Colm on the shoulder, you know, back back in Ireland and, you know, uh, thinking about getting into into a career in growth marketing, like what's the, what's the one piece of advice you'd give young Colm? Be patient and don't be afraid to try shit. I think there's, there's a lot of hesitance. Um, it's probably just maybe what I've seen, but a lot of hesitance and trying and trying and like potentially Mm. being afraid to fail and presenting that back. I've never had an issue with that. I've, I've presented back more failures than I have wins a hundred percent broken heaps of shit, scared people like being in, rough meetings where I've destroyed stuff. We, we need another podcast just on the, <laughs> shit, the shit you've broken. Shit I've broken, for sure. Like it's all there. So um, I think I would just say like, don't stress about that too much. Um, just always have a good sort of rollback and a, a plan B to that degree. But like really, really um, be patient and, and, and keep trying new things. Yeah. Colm Flanagan, thank you very much for being on our podcast today. Uh, you know, growth lead, ex-high pages, uh, expectant father and uh, not mm-hmm. barber extraordinaire, but barber SEO extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Colm. Thank you for listening to the Net Positive Podcast brought to you by Upflowing.